right. Well, let me. I'm going to dive in this morning. We are uh, in our um, the beginning of Advent, right? This is super fun. I've already named it this morning, and we're going to be talking about the quote unquote the Advent of Hope. And I will say to you, we're going to look primarily at hope at the end. But I want to begin looking at Advent just a little bit differently uh, this morning because the uh, the idea of Advent it literally means just arrival. Like I said earlier, Advent. When I say the Advent of Jesus, we're simply talking about the arrival of Jesus. We use all these different words in church that we don't normally use in real life, Advent being one of them. But it simply means the arrival, the arrival of Jesus. And, and the idea of the arrival, obviously it speaks to the arrival of the advent of Jesus in, in his first coming, right? The, the Christmas, and we celebrate that during this time of the year, right? It's this idea of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 on the screen. It says, but the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You can just see Linus saying this, right? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And so when we come into this season, we are celebrating and recognizing that Jesus did come. And when he came, he came and it was good news for all the peoples. It speaks to the nature of, of this being a gospel story moment, the beginning really of the, the, of the gospel story of Jesus coming to earth and the, what it meant for us that he was the Messiah and is the Messiah. All Messiah means is Savior. He's the one who can save you from the life that you know is killing you, the life of sin. That's the idea, right? You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. He is Messiah. He is Savior. Here in in verse 11 it says, He is Lord. And so when we talk about the, the advent of Jesus, when we talk about the arrival of Jesus, it's this beautiful reality, not just of a little baby in a manger, although that's true. We think about the ramifications of what his first coming meant for you and what it meant for me. It's profound. It's, it's powerful. If we allow it, it can truly be overwhelming and we can experience the, the nature of it being good news, right? And so we focused on that. But the reality for the Advent season, at least at its inception, it was less about the first coming, the first arrival of Jesus, and primarily was instituted like 400, 500 A.D. It actually was to be about being a people who would then focus on the second arrival of Jesus, right? The return of Jesus, what we call the second coming of Jesus. We see the language of Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3, where it says this, Jesus speaking, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's speaking to his disciples. He's just told them he's going to be leaving the earth, right? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me. So you believe in God also, or believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So all we're doing here is just laying out this understanding that Jesus has made a promise, not just to the disciples he was speaking to, but to all of his disciples, all of the followers of Jesus throughout history, that there will be a time when he will come back and take us to be with him forever. The second coming of Jesus, right? 
And so in this space, both are to be recognized. The first arrival, the second arrival of Jesus to be recognized. They're to be honored. They're to be celebrated. Honestly, they're to be responded to. And again, we'll do that in different ways. The Advent season of that upcoming weeks leading up to Christmas. But this morning... I do, listen, I want to focus on Advent a little differently. I want to speak about it in the context and the nature of Jesus' Advent or arrival in our daily lives. The idea, and we even talked about, you know, I did not talk to Toby in advance about being a people of his presence That was just a God movement right there, right? Because the idea this morning is that we want to recognize that when we give our lives to Jesus, so if you would say to the people here, if I were to have you stand up and say, are you a follower of Jesus? And you go, I am, right? Like in that moment of giving your life to Jesus, then there was an arrival of God's presence into your life that we believe now is present with you every moment of every day. So the arrival of Jesus in your salvation means now that God's present because he has advented into your life. He has arrived and he is present. And so it's good and right to celebrate the, the first presence of Jesus and his arrival. It's good to, to celebrate, look forward to, and prepare ourselves for. Everyone say prepare. That's the nature and the word we use to look to the second arrival. We prepare as if he's coming tomorrow, right? So we live life differently today. But we want to focus on the nature of his arrival at the moment of your salvation. Six years old, 10 years old, 30 years old, 60 years old. That moment of God's arrival in your life, his presence is, was with you and is now with you today. Now, again, just practically speaking with the word, when speaking of the arrival of someone, we are always talking about a person's presence, right? If I am waiting for my parents to arrive for the weekend, I am waiting for their physical presence to come and to stay at my home. Or if you were, when we're waiting for the arrival of our baby, I'm speaking about the birth of the baby and its physical presence coming into the world. The arrival of Jesus, both in his first and his second advent or his first and second coming, they are powerfully unique because they speak to Jesus's physical presence on earth. And obviously Jesus is not physically present today. He's not going to physically walk through the back door, put his hands up and go, what's up guys, right? That's just not going to happen this morning. We would love for it to. Wouldn't it be awesome, right? To have Jesus's physical presence go, what's up, right? That would be so great and unexpected, but great. We would all want that. There is a desire in the disciples' lives that they did not want to lose the physical presence, right? There was a reality that they were anticipating his physical presence again and a joy and a delight and a beauty behind that. And it's good and it's right to think of that. But in the, but in the heart of God, and this is really important, in the heart of God, what I would say, the conviction of truth that defines the heart and the mind and the will of God is that from Scripture, 
we believe and find that between these two physical arrivals, his presence would be with us, would be in us just as powerful as it was with the disciples when his physical presence was with them on the earth. That's a heart conviction of God the Father, of God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That there would be a beautiful reality of God's presence being with us in just as powerful a way as it would have been here in the first arrival or here in the second arrival. Powerful to speak of. His presence would be with us in just as powerful a way in our everyday life. Three scriptures this morning. I'm going to just, I'm going to read them and I'm going to just briefly unpack each of them to lay out this reality for us this morning. Now just press pause. Obviously, the heartbeat of the morning is for each of you, including myself. I'm going to just, I mean, look at me first, if I'm honest, and say, God, I want to awaken, I want to be awakened to the presence of Jesus that you believe is present with me in all of its power, in all of its majesty, all of its intimacy, in all of its glory. That's the goal, to begin this journey towards a presence of Jesus that's not distant and removed, but powerful and present. So here are three scriptures, one from the Old Testament, two from the New. Psalm 73 Uh, Let's see here. There we go. Psalm 73, verses 23 and 24. Here we go. This is the Psalm of Asa. We'll talk about Asa in a bit. Asa is speaking here. Yet, Asa, Asa says, I am always with you, speaking to the Father. Yet, I am always with you. You, God, hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Again, I am always with you, which means you're always with me. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, which means you can hear his voice. And afterward, you will take me into glory, speaking after death. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, super familiar verses and words here. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, truly, without a doubt, I am with you always to the very end of the age, a.k.a. Second Advent. John 14, 16 through 19, we've talked about this over the last six months, and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit says, I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but... You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus then says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. 
Let's dive into these. Psalm 73, again, this is the Psalm of Asa. Remember, Asa said, I am always with you. Hold me on my right hand. You guide me with your right. You guide me with your counsel, right? And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. This is the song or the psalm of Asa, chapter, chapter 73, Psalm 73. It tells the story of Asa. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his life. He's talking about his own personal experience in this moment of life. That's one of the things, man, about the Psalms. That, I mean, if you're reading them, they're just crazy because literally someone wrote them, a lot of times David, about the deepest recesses of intimate thoughts in their soul and say, hey, let's just turn this into a song for all of Israel to sing in the temple. That's just cray-cray, man. Like, I'm not going to be doing it on Sunday mornings. I'm just letting you know, right? I'm not going to say, hey, Toby, can you take that song? Like, this whole, this whole, like, hell I'm going through in life, this we can turn into a song for all the vintage to sing. I'm not going to be doing that, right? But that's what they do. And so Ace is coming into the moment. And when you read what he says, these verses, they sound so pretty, right? They're so pretty and they're so encouraging. They're so life-giving. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And then afterwards you will take me into glory. Sounds so pretty, but you can't miss the context. Asa was so frustrated and anxious about all of life. He was frustrated with the lack of God moving in his life and frustrated with the lack of fruit that he was seeing in his years and years of obedience. Obedience. Basically, he was frustrated because he didn't see God moving in his life in the way he anticipated and in the way he expected. Does someone go, that's me, right? I don't know about you, but I have all these expectations of God and all these anticipations of how he's, listen, we, we live in a world where people say, I am God's favorite. He loves me. And that is true. But listen, in my world, my kids think that because I, they are my favorite and I love them, they, that I will do whatever they want me to do, whenever they want me to do it, however much it costs, which is usually the thing. Right? And how many of us live this same way with God? Asa is basically living that way with God here in the moment. He's frustrated because he's, because God's not doing what God's supposed to do. I prayed last night George would win. Where were you, God? Just kidding. <laughs> basically, again, he was frustrated. I want you to look at the verses kind of. At the beginning, and I want you to look at the verses that kind of lead up to the pretty verses. Verses 1 through 3 on the screen. Surely God is good to Israel. Still sounds good. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And in the verses leading up to, to verse 23, verses 21 and 22, says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast 
before you. Like those words, those words seemingly define a chunk of my life. I bet they do for yours too. Look at the language. I mean, again, it's like this isn't rocket science. It's pretty direct. My feet had almost slipped. He'd almost fallen from this place of relationship with God. He'd almost lost that foothold, right? He envied the arrogant when he saw their prosperity because he believed I should get prosperity. You want to talk about a verse that crushes the prosperity gospel? Read this one, right? Like a gospel from hell, the prosperity gospel. And then verses 21 and 22, man, like my heart was grieved. My spirit, I was bitter when life. I was senseless. Have you ever gotten so angry that you lose all your senses and you're just ignorant in the moment? And you just feel like a brute beast? We talk about the lid flipping in your brain and you have no idea what you're doing. You just want to yell at everything and you want to like cuss at everything and you just want to live frustrated. And you don't care what's happening around you, who, who's in your way. This is Asa. David's right-hand man who would take all of David's psalms, all the words, put them to music, and who had like the, the most spiritual gig in all of the world. He literally, nine to five or even longer, would just live in the temple and worship all day long. And he was senseless. He was arrogant. He envied the arrogant. He was embittered. He was ignorant as a brute beast before the Lord and just angry. What I love here is Asa's brutally honest assessment of self. He had lost sight of God's presence, even though we know from verse 23 and 24 that he knew God's presence. He knew that God's presence was always with him. He knew God's presence had arrived in his life and again was always with him, but he had lost sight of God. And again, his entire life was spent around leading people and worshiping God. But I'll be honest with you, how this makes me feel is awesome. I feel so encouraged. I mean, oh my God, I can find, this is my guy. I get it. My gosh, Asa, totally get it, man. Let's see what, I see you, right? I see you. Because the idea in this is, man, we live in this world where this happens, doesn't it? Things happen, life occurs, and there's just things that are senseless, and things that just like, oh my gosh! Things that make us scream really loud. This room is so small. Like, I thought about the screaming super, super loud, but it'd be overwhelming, so I'm not going to do it, right? This is, ah! And he was in the moment. His failure, though, I feel is a gift. Listen, the Advent season... Is simply a point of, like Asa, just returning and remembering. It was literally meant to take people from eyes off of the world, say, hey, here's the season we turn them back to Jesus. Hey, here's the time we remember, remember what he did. Remember the good news. Remember? Remember? He's going to come again. Remember? Better get your life ready. Prepare for him coming. It's going to be a beautiful day. Prepare yourself. Live like he's returning tomorrow. That will change how you live today. God's presence is with us. But the thing I want you to hear me say is it's so easy to lose sight of it in light of everything going on 
in life in the season of Advent literally created to act as a reminder for each of us to be like Asa. You know what it says? He says, he says all this in like 25, 26, says, all of this, all of this was oppressive to me until I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. I don't want you to think about church when I say sanctuary. I don't want you to think about this place. I don't want you to think about some temple you've never seen before in your life or only seen in television shows. I want you to think about the sanctuary of your heart where God's spirit dwells in your one-on-one personal time, sitting in your underwear early in the morning, drinking coffee, frustrated with life. Until I entered into that place where God's spirit dwelt with me and I knew his presence with me. All of this was oppressive. Advent is a season of entering in, of literally every day doing our little devotional guide and sitting down and focusing on the hope of Jesus in the season, right? Focusing on the love of Jesus in the season, the joy and all these pieces, right? It's a season of going, I am senseless. My feet had almost slipped. Listen, some of you are like, holy crap, sorry. That is totally me. This is your season. Feel that this morning. This is your season. This is your moment. Listen, on Monday before Thanksgiving, <clears throat> I think a lot of you know I'm a, I am a part of this like year-long pastor, peer, leadership, mentor group, like whatever it is, right? I've got a group of seven pastors nationally I'm in relationship with, and And it's just a beautiful time of accountability, a beautiful time of honesty, a beautiful time of sharing. And I've got a couple of guys just going through hell. I mean, I say going through hell, I mean like going through it right now. And one of them called me last week, like before Thanksgiving, and said, Steve, like he's weeping. My family were dying. So I had looked at my schedule. It was clear. I said, I'm driving down, bro. South Georgia, I'm driving down. I'm going to drive down. Hang out, and like I had no anticipation of doing anything profound, right? I was just going to let my presence—I don't know—let my presence do something. I don't know how that worked. Just be a friend, right? And so I drove down, and and it was—we just kind of laughed together, and we had these moments with the has a huge family, and so all of us were together, this big family dinner together. It was super fun. And I'm just like, like at least anything, I'm gonna be funny. So I just like asked for the spirit of humor on me. I don't know, right? Just cracking jokes, everybody's laughing, whatever it was, right? So. We start walking through the city that night, and we're all together. And ended up like walking side by side with his wife because he's like grabbed the kids and walked forward because she was dying the most. And I don't even know her. We this is the second time we've ever talked in our lives. And I just looked at her and said, "Hey, how are you?" And she just she just like all of a sudden begins to unlook because she had zero safe people in her life. And so her husband's like, "Hey, get up here, let's see, hang out with her, right?" And so we just start talking, and she's just talking what's going on and. And I just said to her, I said, hey, I said, I said this doesn't make anything easier because life is still hard. But can I, can I just, like the thing I've been thinking on the way down here on the drive, I said, I've just been thinking with the reality that four months ago, God put your husband in a group of random people. And now those random people have like rallied around you. I'm not going to say their last name. We call them like team. They're a lot like we're teamed his last name now. Right. And I said, and just the, the idea of like even the way that 
we're loving on your kids. Like their kids, his kids will text me. I'm their safe person to ask me help. you got to help me process this. And I'm like texting back and forth and praying for them, right? And I said, do you see how God prepared, knew in advance that something like this would happen and put you into a group of people to be team so-and-so with you? And you know what she said? She just she looked at me. She's like, Steve, it's not lost on me. I was talking about it with my husband just yesterday, and I am so thankful to all of you. I'm thankful to Jesus. As hard as this is, I know that we would not make it. We would not make it without you all. Here's my point. In this moment, it was way too much, but she saw the presence of Jesus. It was still hard. There were still things that would cause anxiety. But she knew that she was not alone because in the middle of all of it, she had pulled into the place of the sanctuary and found the presence and the person of Jesus and had seen him moving and intertwining his fingers in the middle of everything that was going on. That's what we can't miss. That's our responsibility in this season is simply to look up and remember and to recognize and to find Jesus in the sanctuary of our own heart. The second piece we see in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, again, super familiar verses. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, disciple them. But look at that last verse, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't you find it interesting that the last words that Matthew records in his, listen, everyone right here, don't you find it interesting that the last words Matthew records in his gospel are about Jesus' presence being with them and being with us till the second advent of Jesus? Like, isn't it fascinating, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know why. Because like Asa, they knew they would lose sight of Jesus. They would have forgetful moments or maybe even forgetful seasons of God's presence and need to be reminded. So he puts it, the last thing I want you to hear me say, regardless of anything you're called to go do for God, I want you to hear the fact that you are not alone and that he is with you always, all the way to the end of the age. You're never alone. His presence will be with you. That's what I want you to hear me say. Don't forget it. He is with you always to the end of the age. Listen, be encouraged. You may and you will lose sight of his presence on a regular basis because you are, listen, whether it's because of choices that you make, maybe the attack of the enemy, right? Maybe just a season that you're in, but hear me say, surely he is with you right now and always to the end of the age. We simply need to look up again and see him. I'll never forget several years ago, Anna Catherine was early teenage years, Right, and I don't know if you know, but at those early teenage girl years, especially emotions can be hard to figure out. She was having one of those hard to figure out moments. And so I'm downstairs and I hear this, Dad, Dad, hurry, hurry. Oh, and I'm like, oh my God. 
up, right? What's happening? There's something in the room. Someone's broken in. No, but I walk in and she's under her bed and she can barely breathe, right? And I realize after the fact she's having like their, this anxiety moment. An anxiety, this is small, an anxiety attack, the first one ever in her life. And she can't breathe. She's like, her eyes, oh, you know, I'm getting it just like this. And I'm like, and she's like, help me, dad, help me. Not funny, right? But kind of. But no, 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 I mean, I like, I mean, dad moment. I went over and just got, I just climbed in bed with her, sitting Indian style with her, I can't say that, crisscross applesauce right in front of her. I'm a generation of 50 now. And I just grabbed her by the shoulders like this. And I said, babe, look at me. And I mean, she just looks at me and she's just struggling. And I'm like, just breathe. Look at me and breathe. And I've got the smile going. Like the smile that he's going to be okay. Right? It's okay, baby. Just breathe. Just see what I'm doing and breathe in. Right? We just kind of rock back and forth and she breathed. And all of a sudden you just kind of watch this. Her brain just do like this. Her eyes come back to normal. And all of a sudden she's breathing normal. She's like, okay, I'm good. I said, I'm good. I'm good. I said, you've always been good, babe. Just had a moment. It's not your fault. Life is happening. This thing's happening. I get it. I get it. I've been there. I get it, right? Here's the question. What would have happened if she hadn't looked up and started breathing? What if she hadn't looked up and just started centering herself on me, her father, and my voice, and my presence? What if she hadn't just started... Breathing in and then breathing out. In time, she would have gotten to, she would have gotten okay. But it had lasted an extended period of time and would have felt dangerous for her. When we get to these moments, we have to recognize an advent. We have to choose the centering presence of Jesus. You don't need to go drink more. You don't need to go play more sports. To, you don't need to go work out more necessarily. The key is to say Jesus is here. Now, I might need to go work out because that's helpful for me. But the key is I need to lift my eyes up and choose to set my gaze upon the presence of Jesus and just breathe and center on him. I will pray, I will sit there before the Lord all the time and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I look just in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is focusing, Son of David. It's a prayer from the New Testament. Have mercy on me. The Jesus prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I just focus on his presence. The Advent season, guys was created with the intentionality of helping you slow down, lift your eyes, and see and remember Jesus. We have to choose that. John 14, 16 through 19 talks all about the Spirit, but the one verse I want to focus on here in all of this, verse 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Jesus lives with a conviction 
that in the person of Holy Spirit, he is present every day with us. He lives with a conviction and confidence that in his advent, in his arrival in our lives at salvation, that we are no longer part of the world who can't see him, but we are now part of his family, and we will see him. We can know him. We can see him. We can know him. The question is, do we live with the same conviction? Do we live with the same confidence, with the same hope? If not, God, would you awaken me to see you and to know you? I'm going to lift my head. I'm going to sit till I find your presence and recognize that you are with me. The season of Advent, the season leading up to Christmas was created with one primary purpose in mind. Lead people to lift their eyes off of and from the world that's throwing at them all this stuff and remind them of who Jesus is, to remind them of who they are in relationship with Jesus. It is a season of awakening. It's in a season of remembering. It's a season of returning. It's a season of awakening. It's a season of remembering and a season of returning. And the invitation for you in the Advent season is to wake up from the slumber or wake up just from the ignorance. Wake up from being a brute beast. Remember the truth of Jesus' presence. Enter into his sanctuary and return to him and be changed by him not just going to happen today. It's the journey that you give yourself over the next 20-something days leading up to Christmas. The history of Advent, again, was about this, that the world in which the church was living had begun to, to creep into the church, and the church no, was no longer living for Jesus because there were so many distractions of life keeping them from Jesus in 400 A.D., Think about the increase of distractions we have to today. It's like, it's like to the nth degree now. And this was a season the early church fathers said we've got to create a season. For them it was all about fasting and preparation and getting their heart right before the Lord. But it is about this season of breathing, centering, knowing God's presence, allowing him to, like Asa, all oh, this was oppressive to me, until it entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then he heard God's voice, had clarity. And that's what God's calling us to in this season. As we end this morning, and I invite the worship team to come, the focus of the first Advent week is on, is on hope. It's what I call the Advent of hope, right? Hope in Scripture is a confidence on the screen. Hope in Scripture is a confident trust in attaining the future of patience while waiting and confidence in the divine movement of God on our behalf. That sounds super great. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a confidence, honestly, of God's presence being with me in the moment and to bring about justice and breakthrough because he's God. It may not happen in my timing, but it happens in time. And so I live with this hope. It's the arrival of hope. God, I'm living today with the confidence of your presence and your nearness in my life. Jesus, come and have your way. Hope, birth out of our confidence in God's constant presence in our life. I want to read to you. I want you to, so in the midst of all that you're doing for Advent, your little Advent guide and all that type of stuff, I want to invite you this morning to go read all of chapter 40 of Isaiah. The end of it's going to be super familiar too, but I love the title given. The title given to it in the NIV is Comfort for God's People, right? I love that. And so 
I'm going to read these familiar, these familiar verses through on the screen for you. But I want, to, I want you just to allow these words to wash over you from Isaiah. Chapter 40. Start. Here we go. It says, comfort. I says, uh, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even when Jews grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father, this morning, uh, we thank you. That in your wisdom, you empowered our church fathers to create a season like this where we can say, hey, we, we need to turn, return, awaken, return, and be refreshed by the presence of Jesus. God, help us to be aware that you are moving. We just confess that we are all very often like brute beasts before you and others. And we're thankful for your presence with us this morning that says, now I am present. I'm fighting for you. That when we return to you, God, you are faithful then to fill us, to give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you. And I just pray today for those who've been maybe in a long season, a long season, Jesus, a feeling unknown and unseen and unheard. Maybe God in a season of just pulling away of Man, like their feet have really almost slipped in their minds. God, maybe they feel like they have. I thank you, God, that the nature of grace and mercy and salvation is that there is nothing too far, that too far that we can go from you that you can't save us from it. So I pray you crush the lie of the enemy that says today, oh, you've gone too far. That's just bull. We can never go too far, Jesus. Your hand is always capable of, of catching and saving. Lord, today, I'm asking out of grace and out of your mercy for people, would you open their eyes to see you, that you think, yes, I have mercy for you today. So God, the returning is like repentance. We've got to say, oh my gosh, this is the path where I've been on. I've got to turn from that path and look towards Jesus God, I just pray that this that return, that repentance today, that grace to turn today, Lord, your ability empowering them. And to say, Jesus, would today be a line drawn in the sand for all of us, but especially those, God, who just like they're the, they're the furthest away they've ever been from you. This would be the moment, and that this would be a season of breakthrough. Life may still be difficult. But it just is so much better because they're doing it in your presence. And your presence always sustains and gives life. Your presence always produces the fruit of your spirit, love, and joy, and peace, and patience. God, thank you. So come and have your way this morning. pray this in your name.